We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Morning. Oh, hello. Morning, morning. How are we all doing? You all right? Good. Right, it's going to be one of those days. Good morning, everyone. That's better, that's better. Good, good, good. Right, well, I'm pleased that... um, that James said that the kids were out for that thing because as I arrived here a little bit later and there was like no one here I thought that's it they said in the e-news that I was speaking and people voted with their feet <laughs> see Anthony people really are reading it you see um, okay you will note sorry that looked like a really big lot of notes didn't it I don't want you to be worried now um, you will note that um, that neither my father, John, is here, nor is my mother here, right? So I've got complete kind of freedom. Neil's sitting in the front. Neil's sitting in the front. He's going to check on the doctrine and everything. No, but part of the reason, to be honest with you, it's, it's a bit of a funny quirk, but as some of those who work with me will know, I'm really very keen on not saying anything negative about someone behind their back. But there is, a, there is another side to it. It means I can't say anything positive about someone in front of their face. So I do want to talk a little bit about um, my mum and dad, or John and Dawn, depends how you want to call them. Some of you call them mum and dad anyway. I want to talk about them in a positive light. And it was going to be very difficult for them sitting in front of me doing that. I did it once at my wedding. And it was, it, was, it was painful for us all. So <laughs> I'm going to speak uh, positively about them um, as we go through because of the particular example um, they've given in that sense. So um, I, kind of, I kind of want to take you on a little bit of, a, of my journey in, in recent times, um, particularly coming into the kind of lockdown era Um, Some of you will know um, I head up a network called Faith Action and it particularly looks to work and help faith groups that want to serve the wider community, not just themselves but their wider community. And I was in an amazing position where the government commissioned our organisation to contact faith leaders every week from all the faiths. But we kind of split up between us and I took on the troublesome group, the Christians, and the Sikhs as well. They were a little bit troublesome, but a different type of thing. So I, had, I, had, I basically was paid by government to talk to pastors throughout the country. And it was an amazing time to kind of see what's happening, what's stirring in people. And there's obviously time of contemplation, all those kind of things going on. But one of the questions I had going on was about our flavour. And has God given us something in terms of lifeline, but also in terms of the house church movement um, and, and I wanted to look particularly at that. Now, before we really get going, I found these old logos. Luke Smith saw my PowerPoint earlier and said it's like something from the 1990s. <laughs> he said, I am something from the 1990s. <laughs> I'd like to be something from the 1990s. I'm a little bit earlier. Um, right. So part of the question I'm being asking, is there a distinctive? 
Not only for us as a church, but the movement which we're from. Now, let me, let me just kind of gauge where we're at today. Who has been in this church for more than 10 years? Oh, yes. How about more than five years? Yeah. How about a year or under a year? Yeah, a few people. Okay, all right. And there's, you know, we've seen a lot of people um, come through and that kind of thing. Lots of new folk arrive and different stuff. Um, and partly I want to try and put us all on the same, the same page. So we, we belong to what is sometimes termed, uh, or we came out of what is sometimes termed the house church movement. In the 1960s and 1970s, um, in the UK and, and New Zealand and other places, God started to work in the church around the world and particularly start to restore um, whole bunches of church stuff that we see in the New Testament. Um, and often it's, uh, there was a time called the charismatic remo- uh, re- renewal, which was about uh, really people starting to realize that, hey, life with the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit was possible for us today. And hey, I could talk for ages on that. And at the, at the kind of as you go through the late 60s and into the 70s, there was a kind of an additional thing where people started to look at their denominational setups, their Baptist church, their Anglican church, their, their Methodist church, even their Pentecostal church, and started to look at that and say, what I see there is not completely the same as what I read in the New Testament. And people started to look for different things, and they started to meet people kind of independently started to meet in their homes. And over time, those homes became, started to connect up and they became house churches. You see, you kind of get this thing together. And one of the particular features was shared life. I've spoken a lot on that. And shared life has some practical sides to it. There was commitment, there was relationship, as well as seeing healings and seeing uh, things of the Holy Spirit come. So you've got the house church movement. But before that, You've got a particular move of God, you've got this charismatic stuff, and then before that you've got the Pentecostal thing, right? So the question in my mind is, is there anything different about Lifeline or about house churches today from a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church? So what are the examples of that? Well, is there anything different? So Pentecostal church, one of the biggest ones that people would know about is Hillsong, that's the background Hillsong. Charismatic church, something like Holy Trinity, Brompton, those kind of things. And you can look at our Sunday mornings and think, well, things are fairly similar. And you can look at various different aspects and think it's the same. And so I was thinking, I think maybe we're just the same. But there was a niggly question saying, did God plant something in us that is different? Did God give us a piece of the puzzle? That's our old logo way back. I found that logo and found a picture of Anthony and Claire with newborn Serena in their arms. Um, And that was part of the sense we had, that we had a part of the puzzle to contribute. We didn't have the whole thing, but part to contribute. And I believe that's so. You see, over lockdown, what I found is as I spoke to pastors and I spoke to Christians throughout the country, they were talking about a longing for community and a longing for relationship. If you look at Acts 2, it talks about this fellowship of the believers, this shared life. But the other thing we're also finding is that people want community. They want the community to be available for them. They don't necessarily want to be part of building it. 
They don't necessarily want to have the commitment and the serving and those things that they just want it to be available to them, like a kind of emergency service that you can connect in and call in. So that's part of the, part of the thing I feel that God really put for us, that there would be that we need to look again and regain and make sure we don't lose out on one of the flavours of the house. Now, relationship and community is primarily shown in practical ways through serving. I can't have relationship with someone without practical involvement in that sense. It's really limited ways, yeah? And therefore, and, and that's kind of part of the thing that I want to see has been exampled all the way through with us. Now, because my mother is not here and my father is not here, I'm going to give you some of their one-liners. And one of my father's one-liners is don't pitchfork, right? Here's a chap pitchforking. So, you know, before you had combine harvests, all that kind of thing, you had to move hay around. And a pitchfork is very clever. You can shove the pitchfork in and you tend to flip it behind you like this. Richard probably did it when he was young. Right. Pitchforking like that. You get that and it flips right over your head and it's a great way of making a big mound. But here's the key thing. It doesn't touch you. Here's the deal. I'm, I'm so keen <laughs> that we consider this for us. And boy, when God puts something on your heart and you start preparing for it, you should do a self-examination. I've been self-examining myself on this word for a month. And keep on going over it. Is there something, God, you've got for me? Is there something I need to be doing serving? But we could pitch thought and say, right, that's not for me, that's for them. Not for me, that's for them, right? Here's the deal. This is for us. Or let me put it like this way. This is for you, and this is for me. This is for you, and this is for me, yeah? And you might get a bit upset. Well, that's fine. Whoop. I would prefer people to be a bit upset, a bit wound up, a bit chewing it over. I did say something about fish fingers a couple of months ago, and people got very excited about fish fingers. I had a lot of people, Marissa who's at the back, who's now going to have to translate herself, um, said to me, I don't want to give people fish fingers. I talked about we need to have family connections and meals, like ordinary meals, beige food meals, you know, fish finger meals, not dinner parties. And Marissa really said, I don't want to give people fish fingers. <laughs> so <laughs> I want people to engage with us in those things. A number of years ago, um, I was traveling in Zimbabwe, and Heidi and I took time to spend time with Loxley and Mavis there. And we were talking to them. I, again, I probably have had this whole thing about house church and what is it God planted us for many years. But I was asking Loxley about his experience. Loxley was a leader in our church for many years, part one, the founding people. And he had a group of people in North London um, come together. And before his group connected up, the group with my dad and my uncle, um, they, were, they were gathering, they were having good time of fellowship, they were involving each other in each other's lives. And one Sunday, four, the 45 of them had gathered together. And they got a call come through, um, and there was going to be a midweek meeting in London, and they needed stewards. So, and I think this was on the Wednesday. So, out of the 45 of them, 40 of them were available to serve in that way, like that. So, I said to Loxley, why was that? 
why were so many people available? And he said to me, because we thought Jesus was coming. Because we thought Jesus was coming. Now, I should have probably asked him a little bit more, did you actually think Jesus was coming? Or do you think Jesus is coming or whatever? But, you know, quite frankly, we're nearer to it now than he was then. Just to bear in mind, in that sense. It's about a purpose. That means people had to cancel stuff. People probably had to have a sandwich rather than a you know, proper dinner or whatever. Because we thought Jesus was coming. I think of some of our, uh, the pastimes we get into, the things we, we spend time on, that kind of thing. And think, would I do this? Would I spend time making this a priority if I really thought Jesus was coming? Now, again, Jesus coming is something we could unpack and that kind of thing, spend a long time on. But you get the idea. It's about eternal purpose. It's about something bigger than my little life. It's about something very powerful in that sense. Right. Let's have a little look. My backgrounds are really not working. I've, this is supposed to be a nice pink. It's, I don't know, washed out. But I've not got time today to go through all of the verses I would, that have been kind of feeding into me and, and working with me on this time. So I just want to punch these out to you. If you want to note them down, put them in your phone, have a look at them, check them out, that's fine. We'll just whip over these. So... Um, and mostly you'll see, most of the time we're going to spend in Matthew today. I would like to thank Matthew for his gospel and thank Matt Allen for our long conversation when we drove a couple of weeks ago and taught you this stuff away. So Matthew has been very active in one way or another. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me, says Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's interesting, isn't it? You can't just love Jesus. If you don't love, if we don't love each other, we don't love the brethren, we don't love other people, it's, it's not a witness. It's like we don't even belong to Jesus in that sense. Jesus said, if ever, anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Deny himself. It's very different from the world, isn't it? For you, my brothers, this one's a bit more complicated because the Amplified, but it had lots of stuff in it, so I thought we'd do this. For you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature, worldliness or selfishness. But through love, serve and seek the best for one another. Through love, serve. It's that, that penultimate one there. Um, deny himself. I was struck, I know I've said this before, I was struck as you get to the end of the uh, book of Judges. It says, there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If uh, Keir Starmer is to stand up and say, I want a country where everyone can do what they see right in their own eyes, I think you get a lot of votes. I think people will say, that's great. I think that's, that's self-actualization, to be posh. Everyone can do exactly what they want. Everyone that I see is good. But in the, in, in the Bible, when it says that, it's like the, the worst of things. I would like to do what I want, whenever I want. But that's the worst of things. And I'm emphasizing that because 
I want us to realise how much worldly thinking seeps into us and our attitudes and the way we do things. Let's have a little look at some of the examples Jesus gave. Um, If you've got your Bibles, do turn to John 13. We're going to sit in here for just a little bit. Um, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it came... When it was time for supper, the devil had already put uh, into the heart of Judas Iscariot Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that Father had given him everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. Right. Those two major parts. It's a Passover festival. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then that last part there, he knew that, Jesus, that the Father had given um, everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and he was going back to God. It's interesting, actually, when I was looking, at, looking for this verse and chewing it over, um, John, this is John chapter 13. This is the night, uh, that, um, night before the whole stuff starts happening in terms of the passion, in terms of the death and resurrection. There's still another bunch of chapters John doesn't finish until 26, I think. This is such a, such a rich time. But we've just had, if you remember the story, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. There's been celebration. He's, been, he's got great popular acclaim. People have been laying um, palm branches. They're singing Hosanna, all this stuff. In the natural, it looks great. His, his, you know, his likes on his profile were, were doing well. Yeah, He was doing really well. And spiritually, it's pretty good, Right? He knew the Father had given him everything into his hands, that he'd come from God and that he was going back to God. I'm going to keep doing that all day. Dramatic moment. Right. It was not the dramatic moment I was thinking for. Thank you, Neil. He's got, naturally, everything's in place. Right? The people say, yeah, go Jesus. What was that term in that TikTok thing? He's all glowed up. What was the thing? What was it? Anyway trying to use gangster speak. Anyway, he's all, you know, he's got, he's absolutely at the pinnacle. Absolutely the pinnacle. If I was his agent, I'd be saying, right, Jesus, you need to do these things. Let's, 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 let's get you here. Let's get you the newspapers. Let's do this. Let's do all these kind of things. Got all this stuff together, but we have a so. <laughs> it's maybe, yeah, you want to get away from my foot so I don't keep treading on it. There you go. Yeah. So, so, at John 13, verse 4, there is a big so. So all that stuff is there. All that stuff is right at the pinnacle of his powers. And it says, so he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a towel. At the big moment, Jesus doesn't do a big sermon. He doesn't heal a bunch of people. He doesn't go and sort out the Romans. He doesn't go and sort out the Pharisees. He serves. He takes on the role that we know as the lowest servant. He washes feet. Now remember, those feet, not great clean roads, that kind of thing. Those feet had all kinds of stuff going on them, right? So it's the lowliest thing. I think at one point we discovered that servant would be called the doulos in Greek. Some of you have been on doulos. That's something to bear in mind. It's the lowest servant. In fact, a doulos, you could kill and they wouldn't even be investigating it. 
is he took on the lowliest position to do this. And he's at the pinnacle of his powers, pinnacles of his influence. Then he goes on, unfortunately for us, it's not just a nice story, because he has something to say to us. Let's have a look and see. Uh, verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know that what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. Right? You call me the one you're learning from and the one you're going to do what I say. And you're speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to do to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. There's no way around it, folks. We're called to serve one another. We're called to make a difference in that way. Some of you may remember a good number of years ago, we had two gentlemen who were part of our church who were both um, uh, in wheelchairs. They couldn't really communicate. Yeah? Bill and John. And one of the phrases that my dad often used, and one of the things he often drew our attention to, he says they have a particular role in serving us by giving us an opportunity to serve them. Effectively, now I know we can quibble this, but, but <laughs> give me this. Effectively, they could not reciprocate. They couldn't, oh, you, you know, you lend me this and I'll lend you that. You drive me here and I'll drive you there. They couldn't reciprocate, right? And that's really important. They couldn't pay back. They couldn't pay back. But remember that verse, whatever you've done for the least of these. It's interesting that when we look at the words of love, that loving with no expectation of return, no expectation of getting back, sometimes translated as charity, it's the agape love. Some of you may remember at, um, when Jesus is resurrected, he's talking with, with Simon, he's trying to restore Simon Peter to, um, to the disciples, and he asks him, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you love me with no expectation of return? And Peter says, you know I fillet you. You know I love you, brotherly love, give and take. That, that love, that love which is godly love, which is, is so special that Peter didn't even dare to use it. But yet it's very precious and we're called to that. It's interesting to think of the people who served Bill and John, certainly in my mind. The people I remember particularly was JP or John Patterson that some of you remember. John uh, sadly died a year and a bit ago. Um, he was in his early 60s. He'd been around us. And, and at his funeral, his son talked about how one of his little words is, who can you serve? Who can you serve? And it just made that pressure. And I remembered all the ways I'd seen him serve and make a difference. And the other person, more close to the hand, that I remember was Andy Garland. Consistently going and collecting those guys. And Isn't it interesting, with the situation Andy's in, we get to a place where there may, may be no ability to reciprocate in the practical way that he did for those guys. 
It's a terrible thing that in our society that often people who are older or people who have got some kind of a disability feel that they are costing society such that they are too much of a burden. But partly as civilization and certainly as Christians, they're there to serve us so that we can serve them with no expectation of return. How often do we do things, I'll do it to him because I know I might get something back. How about serving the people that can't give back? That reciprocation is so important. And obviously with, with the situation that Dad's in now, increasingly that's a situation I see as well. But his serving is something we can see over years. And my mum's partly hospitality would be something that many of you would have experienced. We work very hard with them. Uh, as coming to lockdown to keep them safe and secure in their house. You remember that wiping down cardboard boxes? That's your rubbish. Washing our hands, that was norivirus, get rid of that. Uh, but you know what they do? They blooming open their house to two young scallywags that come and live with them the whole time. And people have lived with them uh, over the years. But the things I remember particularly have uh, been ministered not only to them, but I remember Alan Jenny, that, that the ability to call someone in the middle of the night who will come and minister to you. Yeah? There was, uh, there was some folk in the network. In fact, many times in the network there have been issues, okay, things may be looking all right on one side, but there's marriage issues or different relational issues and that kind of thing. And Dad has flown to places to, to be with people, to relate to people. Hilton's talked about the visits that he's had just to see how are you. So much so actually that he came here when he first heard Dad was ill to come and visit and connect in that sense. Hey, we could name all kinds of people. I've named Andy. There's all kinds of things we could talk about what Andy's done to serve. And, and, and you can look at the people beside you and think, oh, hang on, no, they've done it. I'm not saying it's for them. But there is something that we don't want to lose out on. Family knows. That's one of the little phrases we've got in fusion. Family knows. Here's the thing I find always tricky. My parents always know what's going on with you lot, even if I've just spoken to you. They seem to know beforehand. And at times we would wrestle through, Neil may remember this, we would wrestle through, oh, we can't be a mum and pop store. We need to be a supermarket. You know, if you're going to grow, you need to kind of be like a super. You can't be a mum and pop store. But mum and pup knows. Mr. Tesco doesn't know what's going on for me. Yeah? They know and they know that connection. I think that's something there. And of course, what my mother has done often behind the scenes, those kind of things. Though she does have some good phrases that we hear every now and again. And this is one of them. You always do what you want to do. Now, I received that a number of times as a child. And some of you may have received that in past interactions. You always do what you want to do. I find it amazing... Look, there you go. Oh, isn't that nice? I find it amazing the, the, the self-control that young couples have, you know, that they see each other maybe a few times a week or something like that before they're married, yeah. I wasn't like that. Once Heidi and I started going, I saw her every single day. I even had to get on a bus once to go and see her. <laughs> I didn't do that again. Uh, Right? I was, I wanted to see her, so I saw her. Every time, even if it was only for half an hour. 
In fact, we, we started, I don't know if I should say this, we, we would see each other so late that we had to start having power naps after we got in from work so that we weren't completely flagged out. Power nap is like you do 20 minutes, it convinces your body you've had a sleep, and if you haven't, that's why I'm as grey as I am now. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to see her, so I saw her. If you want to serve, you'll serve. If you don't want to serve, you'll find all kinds of excuses, all kinds of ways out. If you don't want to commit, you'll find all kinds of ways out of it. If you don't want to relate, you'll find all kinds of ways out of it. But if you want to serve, you'll want to serve. You'll do it. Yeah? <laughs> I was trying to find these guys. Every time there's... Um, there's some kind of royal thing. They sometimes list off all the different roles. And I'm, I don't, I've been searching and searching. But the, as close as you are to the king means that you're in a more powerful position and you have influence. And these were people admire this. Look at that lady. How ornate she looks. And he doesn't look a poor little fellow. And some of you may be Googling groom of the stall already. These people had the special job of dealing with the king's chamber pot. And yet it was a special position. Really special position. There's this word privy you see coming up. It's about private chambers, privy council, privy chambers. It's quite interesting to see how all those things come together, but it's about that intimate connection because that connection means, means influence and power. And what we see by that there's a thing about honour. We're not honoured by the task we do. We're honoured by who we serve. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do unto me. We want to serve brothers and sisters who are also co-heirs with Christ. I would go further and say, every human being is an image bearer of God. And therefore, our service for them is certainly a witness, if nothing else. Let's look at this. The 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000. It's interesting to look at the context. Um, this is in Matthew 14. But it's referred to in John 6 and, um, uh, and Mark as well. So we have this situation. Um, and it's actually important. That we'll, I'm going to not go through it too long now because of time. But if you... Because the Bible is split up for our help into verses and chapters and stuff, those are false kind of, that wasn't originally there. So it's always important to look before and after what happens. So you've got this great moment. The disciples, some gospels seem to say they've been out on a mission trip, they come back. But if you look at the section before, it's the death of John the Baptist. What do we know about John the Baptist? He was Jesus' cousin. There was some level of closeness and that kind of thing. There was a connection throughout. John the Baptist has just had his head lopped off, right? It just kind of seems arbitrary. So Jesus, uh, Jesus says, let's draw aside. Let's draw aside. Let's have some time out. He says to the disciples, they start going somewhere. I was looking at the number of times in the Gospels that Jesus draws aside, and I thought, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to draw aside. So um, every two weeks, I set this thing that on my lunch hour, I would go to Hainal, and I would just have time on my own. And I would try and pray and read the Bible and that kind of stuff. The first time I went, and walking down the hill and that kind of thing, the rain was holding off. 
And I suddenly realized that I'm in the forest in the middle of the day, and there are people in the forest in the middle of the day are potentially a little on the lonely side, and also slightly more social than I was feeling to be. You know there's a thing with babies or dogs. You know babies or dogs, you can kind of talk to people with babies or dogs. I saw a dog walker coming, I literally hid in a bush. Because <laughs> I thought, I'm drawing aside. I'm drawing aside, I want to do what Jesus did. And as I tried to hide from this dog walker, jumping in and out of bushes, that kind of thing, I realized what happened here when Jesus tried to draw aside. It says, the people followed, and he saw them and had compassion. And I realized, isn't it funny? I wanted to do the stuff that Jesus did, and I'm now doing the stuff and in danger of not doing the thing. You know, there might be someone that needs to hear. I even had a thing. I had my business card. I still have business cards. I was going to say to the person, listen, I'd really love to talk to you, but I just need to have some time. Here's my card. Give me a call. Let's chat sometime. I had a whole phrase together. I know you may think he's a bit, you know, thinking people really want to talk to him, but oh, they always want to talk to me when I don't talk. So I, in the end, actually, the dog walker didn't come my way. Um, I got camouflage on. Um, no. Jesus is in a place, they've just been doing ministry, they've just been, uh, he's grieving. He is in a right time to say, I need some time on my, I need some me time. I need some me time. But he doesn't. In the end, he goes and feeds the 5,000. He prays for people, he ministers to people, he's, he preaches. Because I think the key factor was, he was asking God, what would you have me do? He continued to serve when others would have stopped. It's interesting to contrast that to the spirit of the age. I've been trying to get my acronyms right. I'm not quite sure if I got them. We've got FOMO, fear of missing out. But there's a kind of side FOMO, which could be uh, keeping options open. What that means is that if I invite Neil round, he says, well, I might be able to come. It's quite difficult for me to make one of my glorious meals on the basis that he might be there or not there. Just, it could be fish fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping my options open. I'm surprised how much, many of us just give vague, vague responses. Oh, sometimes people are even more honest. Yeah, I'll, I'll come if nothing else comes up. <laughs> you can't build on that. You can't build on maybe. Yeah? We want community, but we don't want to put into it. My mother-in-law has this phrase. She says, many drink from the well. And it feels like there should be a second part. I'm not sure what you want people to pour into the well. Many drink from the well. Anyway, <laughs> metaphors can run out. I think I had one of those wells in Zimbabwe. And Daniel Jones might remember about that borehole water. Um, he saw them. He had compassion. There's a seeing, and he has compassion. It moved him to act. It's a long way from self-protection. And then we see this case. This is actually picked up in Mark, but this little boy is, is there, and he's got his loaves and fishes, and it's not much. I don't think we're going to get time to watch the video here, but there's a great scene in The Chosen, which you can see. And, uh, and it's only a few loaves and a few fishes. But all we can do is give what we have to give. I'm not asking that we fix everything, but we give what we have to give, and we'll see God multiply. I don't know how many times we've seen that happen. 
offering to pray for someone sometimes. How many times have you been in a situation where you've offered to pray for someone and nothing's happened, but that's changed something with that person? Someone was telling me a story about feeling the need to pray for a taxi driver. And nothing happened. The guy wasn't healed. But his ears were open because it demonstrated love and awareness and seeing and availability in that sense. So... Ultimately, today really comes a bit down to those same old questions. The same old choice that was in the garden. We see in the garden even. Are you going to do what God wants you to do or are you going to do what you want to do? Despite the, the spirit of the age which says, do the thing that you want to do, do you know, you do you, all that kind of stuff. You have your time, all that kind of thing. That was there even back in the Garden Eden. It's just it seems to be more accepted now. Self-actualization in those kind of ways. So ultimately, we're asking, who's Lord of your life? Is it you, or is it God? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Are you following him? There's some results. This is the kind of thing I would like to see. I'm laying it down here. We have examples. Talked a little bit of examples. Talked about John and Dawn. Talked about Andy. Talked about other people. We've got examples. Let's go and do likewise. Jesus gave us examples. We want to have a community. Community's got to be two ways. Got to have our involvement as well. Express through commitment, relationship and service. You can't serve someone without committing to them. Yeah? Let's be culture busting. We've got to deal with this flaky thing. Oh, everyone else is like it. Yeah, of course everyone else is like it, but we're children of the king. Let's not be flaky. Let's communicate. And, and commit. And here's the deal. We need to be submitted to one another in that. We need to pull each other up sharp. Yeah? But in love. And of course, whenever we're talking about anything to do with the church, when we're talking about anything and we're drawing from teaching from the resurrection after Pentecost, my complete starting point which I'm now telling you at the end. My complete starting point is the expectation that the Holy Spirit will enable us to do these things. Yeah? Response. We'll go to these in a minute. All right? Confession. Are there areas that you're keeping back for yourself? Ask God, what would you have me do? Accountability. Seek development. Teachability over justification. First to Jesus and then to the body. And live like Jesus is coming back. There's a key phrase I missed on the previous thing. We'll just go back to that one. This is a, Dad said this to me recently. In saying yes, Lord, and submitting to God rather than self, you receive an anointing as you choose to be obedient. It releases something in the spirit, and thus serving ceases to be a chore. It's a miraculous change because we see and we have compassion. Yeah? So I'll hand back to James we can look at those and consider those responses thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church we hope this message has been an encouragement to you we are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways 
We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities, and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at lifelineuk.uk.